If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. On tonight's Boxing Day edition of IMRU, we'll listen to some radio bits from the Gay Liberation Follies, a special that IMRU and KPFK co-produced with sister station KPFA way back in 1974. It starred Amy Fournier, Scott Klein, and an up-and-comer named Lily Tomlin. And we'll also talk with IMRU's own Miss Barbecue about her safe harbor show, Back Chat, with Miss Barbecue. And Fred Carger, president of Rights Equal Rights, will join us in the studio for the 411 on a discussion of what the Mormon Church is up to. And now here is the Back Chat theme. Hot Barbecue today! Hey there. Welcome to Back Chat with Ms. Barbecue, your friendly neighborhood drag queen. I want to dance and I want to listen. Okay, Miss B. <laughs> Is that a <laughs> What cool are theme? you doing? What are you doing after that wonderful intro? <laughs> Tell us all about sitting it. Sitting here live in studio with us. That's what she's doing. I know. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, Happy New Year, all that good stuff. So let's get a vivid final um, description of what this is. Well, Back Chat with Mar- Miss Barbecue is the brainchild of me and Steve Pride, who's the producer of this show. And he um, he saw how I was interviewing people. And because um, I would take interview people and then we would condense it down to a little segment. But then he would listen to the rest of it and go, wow, you really got some really good stuff from these people. Oh, go and, on. And I know, right? <laughs> it was very Barbara Walters. But we got we got we got we got some good information. She's but, got and, the bouffant to prove it bouffant right to, now. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And 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 he thought he thought, well, you know, he wants he wants to at least try. I think he wants to try with each of us. But. He wants okay. to try it with me of of take, taking a person and really doing a half hour show um, with the with the guest. And um, I've interviewed Zachary Jucker, the producer of Transparent. I've interviewed Pandora Box. Um, she was my first one um, from RuPaul's Drag Race, and I interviewed Oliver L. Puche, who's the um, owner of Redline and the chair of Proudfest. So these are all focused on people, because I wondered how does this differ from the show we used to talk about doing What's in Miss Barbecue's Bag? I know where we just take anything that comes out of your mouth and run. I with know, it. I know. Well, 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 well. I've done I've done four shows now, and it looks like next year we'll be doing because I'm only once a month, but it looks like next year we might be going into twice a month. And when is it? So it's on. It, it's it's on at midnight. You can you can either do midnight Wednesday morning, so so it's so it's Tuesday night going into 
going into Wednesday, midnight. So I guess it's midnight Wednesday? 12 a.m. Wednesday. I, well, was that considered 12 p.m. Wednesday? Sometime <laughs> between Tuesday and Wednesday <laughs> when it's dark out. <laughs> on, the safe, on the safe hour hour. And I'm, ex- I'm so excited I'm so I'm so excited to twelve thirty a.m. which is Wednesday morning. Which is Wednesday morning. Okay. All right, twelve thirty a.m. But 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 that worked out. But I know. But we're just looking at the <laughs> looking at the monitor. But we're trying to work it out so that um, we repost it on our SoundClouds, just like we do with this show, so people can literally just hear it whenever they want to. So what? I mean, I know that you said this came up between you and Steve. Yeah. But what's your focus? What are you bringing to this that? It's, it's we e- need to hear. It's evolving because um, at first I thought I just want to interview drag queens because because uh, you know you go with where you know. So first I want I was thinking of all the drag queens I want to interview and and older drag queens you know who are who who might pass away soon. It'd be cool to hear their stories. And then me and Steve had a production meeting. And, and wait, can I take two seconds to explain that Steve is a person who writes and produces this show? Yes. yes. We all know him, but maybe you don't. Steve Pride. Steve Pride. Shout out to Steve Pride. <laughs> Shout out to Steve Pride. But but as I, as we were talking, um, I was thinking, well, I'd love to interview allies. I'd love to interview um, interview psychologists to talk about being queer and depression. I'd like to interview what it is to be a gay youth nowadays. You know, so, so it's kind of... I, I kind of I, I don't want to put it put us in a bubble or put us in a box because the the possibilities are endless. So, but one thing that's also unique about this is this is in our safe harbor hour or yeah. hours. Yes, and hours. so for people who don't know, safe harbor is a policy that basically allows things to be well, shall we say, a little more frank. Yeah. After ten p.m. at night. Yeah. And is that you know. We can swear. We can just we can go there. You can be real. You can mm. be real. You can be real. And 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 I've gotten my guests so far to um, be as real as possible. It takes about twenty minutes into talking to really kind of warm up, and then we really get into the nitty gritty. So, how stuff. much do you get all together that you have to condense down? Um, lately, it's been it's been between ninety minutes to two hours <gasps> to get a half hour show. That's a lot of editing. That's a lot of editing. And it's the cream of the crop. Yeah, and 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 I'm still learning as a as a as an interviewer mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, you got to warm up the person, get the person to warm up to you, and then you don't just go, "How was it with you and your mom?" Tell right. us, you know what I mean? You got to warm up, warm up to that. Well, and you're you're so perfect for this. You can interview such a wide range of people because you get gender fluidity. Like yeah, some of us might not. I get that. I t- I totally get that. And 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 I do and I do want to touch on some issues that kind of are in the LGBT closet still. You know, such as. like like such as racism, such as um, misogyny is still very prevalent in our community. Um, such as um, resources resources for those who are not HIV positive, who are not youth. How does a person get? get resources mm-hmm. you know you know what I mean so, stuff like that that a lot of us are still going well you know I never thought of that or or um issues you know issues that you know is there still a rift between lesbians and gay men mm-hmm. is there still that's that rift? a great conversation yeah that, that's a question that's a question I would love to 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 discuss and um I think I think as the show rolls along the topics will will pop in my head and something else will evolve and it does come out to and we all know this it does come out to scheduling yeah coming out to timing and scheduling cuz there there are tons of people I'm like I would love to interview this person and I'll email them and they're like 
you know, I'm not available until March. And, and there's like, a reason I'm not on your show. It's because I'm old, and that is past my bedtime. <laughs> Ageism is one of my topics. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about that. But you know, was, you've done this. You've done four show, shows so I've far. I've done four shows so far, so I'm still getting my getting my um, groove on on doing it. But what surprised you? Is it what's come up in those four shows that maybe you weren't looking for, but you found? I've been having in the middle of the interviews. I've been having aha moments. Not only with myself, but my guests have, like, like, we'll, like, like, we'll, we'll get so deep into conversation. Um, there have been, and each time the guest has said, "Oh my gosh, barbecue! I never thought about that," or "Oh my gosh, barbecue! Wow, that's something I really need to think of." And that, that's this, that is that little light that pops on and going, "Oh, okay." If if someone listening can can hear this guest have an aha moment, and these people have done such wonderful things i mean their their resumes are, are like that the average listener can go okay if they can have an aha moment i can have an aha can moment. you think of an aha moment right now that stuck stuck with you yeah um it was, it was my first one with with pandora box we were we were talking about how it is to how it is to um how it is to be a performer and how sometimes we're guarded and how times we don't how a lot of times we as performers we're great on stage but but when we're off stage, it's really hard for us to connect with people. And I was asking her, why is that? Why why, why do you have that? And she goes, well, it came from my upbringing and stuff like that. And she goes, oh, wow, barbecue. I never really dived into that before. Now, I have, a, I have a question. When you're interviewing people like Pandora Box, who is one of the highly structured, almost architectural drag queens off of RuPaul's Drag Race. Architectural right? drag queen. I know, right? But but because of the wonder of radio, you don't really both have to dress up to do the interview. No, that's the lovely part. Now, <laughs> Isn't that awesome? This is now, for I, lazy drag queens. I mean, <laughs> I mean, do you bother to dress up? And if you don't, do you feel somehow not fully in character when you're talking to people out of drag? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> I used to think I had to be dressed up all the time to be Miss Barbecue. I mean, not that you're not delicious tonight. I know, don't, right? Don't misunderstand. I know. I, but vision, I, I, but. I, I, she has I, her Christmas I, scarf. I know my Christmas <laughs> scarf. On. It's cranberry. <laughs> but I, but I used to always think I had to be dressed up to be Miss Barbecue. And when I, when I left and came back on the scene, when I got clean and sober, um, someone said to me, "You're Miss Barbecue. You, you're. She's something you created. She's a creature you created. So you're Miss Barbecue." Whether you have on heels or whether you got a baseball hat on, you were always her. And I was like, but I don't want to. And she goes, but that's that's just it. You don't have a choice. But can your guests do that too? Or My guests can do that too. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think I, I think I think it breaks down the walls when they don't have to put on the makeup and all that kind of stuff. But you know what's funny? I met you, and you were in full drag when I met you. Yeah. And that is who is in my mind. I've seen you not in drag more than I've seen you in drag. Right. But you are Miss Barbecue to me. Right. Right. And that's how I know you. Yes. You know. But if you want to show me another part, that's fine too. But, Absolutely. I mean, but so it just shows that it's not. It's not all visual. No. No, it's not all visual. It is it is what's in the heart. And and my my whole thing is always interviewing people to ask them what can they not find on Wikipedia Google. All right. So what can people not find on Wikipedia Google? Because there's a reason we're talking about this right now. We've got there is a uh back chat coming up. Yes, there's a on on to back chat tomorrow night is trans activist, pianist, singer-songwriter, recording artist, writer, and producer. She's a writer on Transparent. Our Lady J. Here's just a taste. 
Why Our Lady J? It's a queer name. Historically, as queer people, we take on these names. That comes from the Harlem Renaissance. And as a musician, I love the Harlem Renaissance. Also, there was a book called Our Lady of the Flowers that was written in the 40s in France by Jean Chenet. And she wrote it from prison, and it was all about hustlers and uh, thieves and uh, drag queens and trans women. And I was obsessed with it. And they had these fantastical names. Davina was one of the names, funny enough, a character in Transparent. So I took on the name Our Lady. I wanted to be Our Lady of the something, but I didn't know what. And my birth name began with a J, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to change my name to when I transitioned, but I knew I wanted to begin with a J, so I chose the letter J. And J has a lot of other meanings as well. So I became Our Lady J. I used to go by Lady Barbecue. Amazing! (laughs) Well, you know, Lady is a big thing in our community. Yeah. I resented Lady Gaga for the longest time. (laughs) Let's just talk about that. But you worked with her. I, I was her you pianist were... pianist at NYU when she was Stephanie. And <laughs> you just call out Lady Gaga's real name. Yeah, Stephanie <laughs> Germanati. I mean, that's all over the internet. <laughs> so Steph, she's a cis girl. And I resented her for a long time of, of co-opting a lot of queer things. And she did. And, and she, she made her career out of that. Bless her heart. She's also put a lot back into the community, so I can't resent her too much. <laughs> And what a delicious taste that was. But listen, if you don't, uh, if you can't stay up till 1230 in the morning on Wednesday, where where else can we hear it? Um, we will, me and me and Steve Pride, my producer, will repost it on our websites, um, on Miss Barbecue, on Facebook, and on Steve Pride's, and I think he's posting it on IMRU's too. And we'll be talking with Lady J. We'll be talking trans rights issues, her um, her work on Transparent, how she became a writer on there, and also her singing skills. I mean, she has, like, these albums of songs that are just absolutely gorgeous. I didn't know she sang. I just knew she was from Transparent. So she was. we, we were a kindred spirit. That Steve is a regular gay impresario, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. I still think there's room for what's in Miss Barbecue's purse. I do, too. You think, that you, you think that <laughs> that's, a, that's a little thing? So, so, so remember, everybody, Wednesday, 12.30 a.m. We've worked this out. Yeah. Wednesday <laughs> at 12.30 a.m., back chat with Miss Barbecue. We're doing this once a month for December, but we might be going up to twice a month next year for 2017. So absolutely stay tuned. Really, really happy for you um, that you're Thank doing you that. Guys. But that doesn't mean we're losing you no. here at IMRU. We no. still have you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Miss B. I always Thank love to talk to you. I, I love know. you both so We don't get much. enough of you on this show, so it's nice to know we can get all we need yes. on Wednesday morning. At 1230. <laughs> <laughs> morning. Morning well, time. Now, as promised... The Gay Liberation Follies of 1974. This episode is entitled, The Gays of Our Lives. And now, another episode of everyone's favorite soap opera, Gays of Our Lives. Bernice, come here. Yes, Harry. Where have you been? I went... Don't, no, you don't have to tell me, because the guilt on your face tells me you've been to another one of those damned women's rights meetings. Oh, Harry, You don't I try to swear. lie to me, you silly, stupid female. And you understand this, I won't have you acting like a man, becoming obnoxious and aggressive, do you hear? Yes, Harry, but I And if I you didn't. don't give a damn about me, you consider our child. Junior? Did you want him to grow up to be a queer? What? 
Look, it's a scientific fact that homes with an aggressive, dominant mother and a weak, passive father invariably turn out homosexual boys. Oh, my God. Well, that's not going to happen in this household, you hear? But, oh, my God, I'm afraid it's too late, Harry. What did you say, Bernice? Well, you see, I wasn't at a women's rights meeting tonight, Harry. I was at a meeting of the Daughters of Belitis. Whose daughters? The Daughters of Belitis. It's America's oldest and largest lesbian organization. Why, Junior turned me on to it. I've been attending meetings secretly for six months now, and I've met a wonderful woman named Janet. We're very much in love, and I've never been so happy. I, I, I can't believe my ears. Oh, and one more thing, Harry. What? Drop dead. Wenzel, are we doing sketches now? Are we, do we have to do sketches? Uh, I like the idea. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And that was Gaze of Our Lives from the Gay Liberation Follies of 1974. But wait, there is more. The next episode is entitled The Case of the Closet Case. My name's Joseph Timber. I'm a vice cop. I've been working the beat on Main Street in downtown Boise, a good town with good, decent people in it. I'd been with the Boise, Idaho Police Department for two years. Good record. I even made the papers once when I broke up a prostitution ring in West Boise. Yeah, I was a good cop. I had a good wife, three decent kids. I don't know when everything started to go wrong. I don't know exactly when I made that first fatal mistake. I guess, I guess I'd better start telling you the whole story from the beginning. The whole rotten, stinking story. It was a normal Monday morning just last April when the chief called me into his office. The chief was one tough cookie. He'd arrest his own mother if he caught her smoking oregano. But that Monday, he was more friendly than usual. Hello, chief. You wanted to see me? Yeah, come in, Joe. Have a seat. You want a cigarette? Thank you, sir. Well, now, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Uh, I got a damn tough assignment for you, Joe. A rotten assignment. Here's a false ID and an airline ticket for a flight tomorrow morning to Washington, D.C. Be on it. Washington, D.C., the capital of our country. That's right. Someone will contact you at the airport. Leave your wife and kids in Boise. Everything must be top secret. It's an important job, kid. A damn important job. We're all counting on you. Gosh, Chief. May God be with you, kid. Then the Chief got up and came over to me to perform a strange ritual that I would only understand the horrible significance of later. Much later. The Chief kissed me right on the forehead. Ah, good luck, kid. <laughs> I left his office in a daze. A thousand crazy thoughts flying around my mind like flies around a dung heap. What would my job be? Why Washington, D.C.? Why couldn't I take the wife and kids along? And what was the strange significance of that kiss the chief gave me in his office? I couldn't be too careful. On the flight to Washington, D.C. the next morning, I spoke to no one. And I didn't touch any of the food that was put in front of me, just in case. Then when I arrived at the Washington airport, things began to happen. Strange, un-American things. I was in the men's room at the airport, standing there at the urinal, staring straight ahead as I always do, talking to no one, when a somber-looking old man walked up to the urinal next to me. He turned and began to talk. Nice airport, isn't it? I tried to ignore him, but he persisted. Do you work in Washington? Are you a senator or something? Just then, two sailors walked out of the men's room, leaving the old man and I alone together. I dare not look at him, and yet I dare not zip up and leave, either. He could be my contact, so I continued to stare straight ahead. 
Then to my horror, he lifted his hand and moved it towards me. I screamed. Please don't touch me. I've got a wife and kids, eh? Shut up and take this envelope. What? In it, you'll find a key that'll let you in the back door of the White House. There's also a little map inside with directions on how to get there. Now, you wear something casual and inconspicuous when you go, like Bermuda shorts and carry a brownie Hawkeye camera around your neck. Once inside, an agent will make contact with you by using the code words Lavender Cadaver. Have you got it? Yes, but I... Got a split. Lavender Cadaver. I had to remember those words. But what did it mean? What did it all mean? Late that night, I dressed in some plaid Bermuda shorts and tennis shoes. I hung a brownie Hawkeye camera over my Hawaiian print shirt, just as he told me to. I went to the back door of the White House. The key fit. Once inside, I walked down what seemed like endless white corridors. There was no one in sight. Then suddenly someone stepped out of the shadows. Ah! Oh, sorry if I startled you, friend. You have a fag. What? What did you say? A fag. What in the world are you talking about? I don't know any fags. Are you crazy? <laughs> fags a cigarette, ducky. Don't get so upset. Oh, uh, a cigarette. Why didn't you say so? Here, I got plenty of cigarettes. Here, take them all. I don't care. Just don't ever bring up, you know, that other word. Sorry. So, say, can I show you something? What? A lavender cadaver. Oh, sure, I don't mind. Right this way. I was shaking and tense, but I tried to get a grip on myself. The Englishman led me into a small room. It was dark. I didn't like the looks of it. Where are we? Here, let me light a match. It didn't take me long to realize that we were in a closet. I didn't like it one bit. Then the Englishman put his hand on my shoulder and began to talk to me at very close range. Our lips were nearly touching. I was getting more and more suspicious. He told me his name was Jenkins. I'd heard that name somewhere before. He told me that I'd be seeing the top man himself, the big cheese in his Oval Office, and that at that time, I would be given further instructions. Then he said, and I remember these words perfectly, that we should get out of the closet. It was then that it hit me. Jenkins, of course. Walter Jenkins, a member of former President Johnson's staff, arrested in the White House men's room for... Oh, my God. I had to get out. I pushed Jenkins aside, opened the door, and ran. I ran as fast as I could, down long, white, endless corridors. I must have ran for hours. I can't remember now. Finally, exhausted and half mad with fear, I went into a men's room and locked the door behind me. Perhaps I would be safe there for a while. My God, it was all so clear now. Why couldn't I have seen it before? I had heard about it all my life. The international conspiracy of homosexuals and communists. But here, in Washington, D.C., at the highest levels of government, it was too much to endure. And the clues had been there all along, if I'd only put them all together. The chief kissing me in his office, that strange man in the men's room at the airport, the code word, lavender. And yes, of course, that well-known gay radical slogan, out of the closet. Oh, my God. What had happened to the country that I had served and loved so dearly? I looked into the mirror. Why was I cursed with having a pretty face? What horrible abnormalities was I to be used for in the Oval Office? I knew then that there was only one thing to do, to expose the whole rotten, stinking business for what it was, even if the trails of perversion led to the very highest levels of our government. That night I went down to the Agnew Committee on Morality and Government and turned myself in. The rest I left up to God. A very interesting case, this Joseph Tender character. What do you mean? 
An almost classic example of paranoid homophobia. What exactly is homophobia, Doctor? The fear of homosexuals and the fear of things that have a subconscious association with homosexuality. For instance, a man suffering from homophobia has a deathly fear of passivity. For him to surrender his control signifies a loss of masculinity. He's under tremendous pressure to be the aggressor in sex. And he expects conformity and passivity on the part of his woman. In some cases, uh, the fear of being in any way womanish has so invaded the crannies of the person's mind that he almost defined himself out of existence by the very contrast between himself and the homosexuals that he is trying so hard to establish. It's fascinating, Doctor. Yeah? I suppose this Joseph Timber will be locked away in a mental hospital for quite a long time. Nein, he will. In fact, He's just been elected president of the North American Psychiatric Association. And I hear he's doing a splendid job. It's crusade to have all homosexuals undergo compulsory lobotomies. He's doing quite well. Well, I'll be. Oh, Wenzel, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I can't get enough Spiro Agnew jokes. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I get them. <laughs> Well, oh. you know what? You you got to smoke enough oregano. Well, the, the curse of the pretty face. I think we both understand that. Oh, no, gosh, yeah. It is. And we as, suffer. As Steve pointed out to us in the middle of this, this was done in 1974. So this was done live. live. And all that incidental music was on vinyl live. And like but, the coconut shells yeah, or the clip clops. Yeah. Classic radio. Well, it never gets old around here. Well, nor still, do we. Nor do we. <laughs> so still to come, stay tuned. We've got Fred Carger, who in 2012 ran to be the first openly gay Republican presidential candidate. And now because he really just likes things to be easy, he's taking on the Mormon church. I know. And I can't wait to discuss so many things with him because I know he's got a perspective different and far better informed than mine. Plus, there's one more episode of The Gay Liberation Follies, and this is the one with Lily Tomlin. So don't go away. We'll be right back. The Christmas special coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. One magazine was the first gay publication with a national circulation. Its first issue was published in January 1953. The December 1954 issue cover sported an illustration of Santa Claus wearing high heels, floating in the air surrounded by jingle bells and snowflakes. Inside the magazine, short stories of contest winners were printed with a list of the winners. First place was Jody Shotwell, who wrote The Gateway. She received a $25 cash prize. Also in the issue was a special holiday rate for subscriptions to the magazine given as gifts. Two subscriptions for $4 mailed in a plain, unsealed envelope, or two subscriptions for $6 mailed in first class and sealed. Single issues sold for $0.25. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Roby Martin. Hello, I'm Tab Hutter, and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK-FM. 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, and streaming online at kpfk.org.
Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones. The song coming out of break was, of course, from Wham!, featuring the late George Michael, who passed away yesterday at the age of 53. And now, the final episode of The Gay Liberation Follies of 1974, this one starring Lily Tomlin, is entitled The ASR Complex. gentlemen. Tonight we pay a visit to Britain's new ultra-modern ASR complex on the Isle of Wight. For those of you who aren't familiar with the ASR, it stands for Appropriate Sexual Response. An institute has been making revolutionary accomplishments in the field of controlling and eliminating sexual deviancy. Uh, Dr. Pomeroy? Yes, Mrs. Delton. As the head of ASR, would you let our listening audience know a little more about the work taking place here at the ASR complex? Mm, I'd be happy to. As you know, we have long used high-frequency light and sound waves in controlling unruly crowds by inducing artificial epileptic seizures and nausea among the demonstrators. Yes, we all admire the use of your humanistic and non-lethal crowd control devices. Thank you. (laughs) Well, we've applied this knowledge to the control of public and private sexual deviant acts. How does it work, Doctor? Well, the experimentation that we've done so far on yes. volunteer prisoners from a local prison has proven terribly encouraging. Oh, really? Yes, you see, tiny, tiny electrodes oh. were implanted in the sexual response centers of uh-huh. the prisoners' brains, and when the young men thought about uh, appropriate sexual objects, <laughs> such as wives or girlfriends that they were engaged to, then everything was fine. Uh, but when they thought of inappropriate sexual objects, such as their own gonads or that of another male prisoners. Well, then, a mechanism is triggered here at our ASR control center, and the young man experiences what might range from uh, mild depression to severe epileptic seizures, uh, depending on how long it takes the subject to redirect his thoughts to an acceptable sexual object. Well, how revolutionary! How marvelous! Oh, thank you. I... Yeah, unfortunately, we still have a few quirks to work out. Yes. <laughs> See, one troublesome prisoner would not redirect his sexual thoughts away from another male prisoner that he claimed he was emotionally involved with. <laughs> and so he experienced a full range of punishment from depression to epilepsy to eventually death. Oh, how unfortunate. For the program, yes, but we shall survive one or two malcontent gay libraticals. Why, even right now, we are perfecting our technique for introducing a chemical equivalent of ASR's program into Britain's general water supply. By soon, sexual deviancy may be controlled at the water faucet, <laughs> or in the morning coffee, or even in the bathtub. Oh, bravo, hair yeah, doctor. <laughs> Don't go shame for our life. Deutschland, du Land der Freude, oh, du mein Heimatland. Well, Lily Tomlin sitting right here, probably in this very chair, judging by how much it's squeaking. Well, that's probably true. And the thing is, she wasn't, I mean, I know we said she was an up-and-comer, but she was coming off of laughing. She was oh, a yeah. pretty big deal. So she this was is, established. This, this is awfully time. brave doing <laughs> well, something like this. Well, uh, let's say thank you to them for Thank you to our doing the, the pioneers. And I'm worried that it means that you and I have to do sketch comedy next time around. Oh, dear. We'll just have barbecue. Take the lead. We'll soldier through. <laughs> Well, in 2012, our next guest, Fred Carger, was running to be the Republican presidential nominee, which would have made him the first openly gay presidential candidate in a major political party in American history. Um, He is a political consultant and has consulted for California Governor George Duke Majin, Mike Kerb, uh, the presidential campaigns of Bob Dole, and Governor John Connolly. Um, He is 
right now focusing his energy on the Mormon church, because I think you like things to be a walk in the park, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what you're doing and why. Well, roll back the clock about eight years, and I was doing the opposition research on Proposition 8. I wanted to see where the money was coming from. We were boycotting some of the biggest donors. And in the middle of the thing, I discovered that all this Mormon money was coming in to the tune of about $465,000 a day. And so after that, I saw that they only reported they'd spent $2,000. So I filed a complaint against them with our state ethics office, which led to a year and a half investigation. They were found guilty on 13 counts of election fraud. They were fined. They were investigated. And so ever since then, I've been told I should challenge their tax-exempt status because they're so anti-LGBT, they're anti-woman, and they're doing a big cover-up on blatant sexual abuse. And so about... uh, Two months ago now, I launched mormontips.com officially, which is going to be asking those who've worked for the church, those who have information, to give us um, proof of how the Mormon church may have violated its tax-exempt status by its massive business holdings and also all its political activities. And we're getting ready to to launch it in January in Utah by running a 30-second commercial all over the state asking for the public help. And public's help, and we're going to be on a very aggressive year or two effort to try and take a complaint to the IRS. Well, now, Prop 8 aside, though, I mean, couldn't you say this about a lot of those evangelical money machines or the Catholic Church or Scientology's back in the news again? I mean, why why the Mormons specifically? Well, they, of course, started this whole effort back in 1995, and I was the recipient of a several boxes full of documents uh, about eight years ago. They started fighting gay marriage in Hawaii in 1995. They were very successful. They did about 26 of those 33 same-sex marriage campaigns. Prop 8 was their their finale, really, because they got busted by me. But they spent $30 million of their members' money, of the $40 million raised. They spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, I I would argue millions more, uh, to pass Prop 8. But at the same ballot, there was Amendment 102 in Arizona, They spent $6 million to pass that. So they've been doing this and very successfully. Now they're leading the fight, as we've seen in some leaked videos that came out about a month ago, on these RIFRA uh, bills that are going Religious freedom bills. And the federal bill, which coincidentally sponsored by two Mormons. The author in the House is Mike Lee, Utah Mormon (laughs) senator, and Raul Labrador of Idaho, who is a Mormon uh, Republican. And those are the two authors of this federal bill to right discrimination in the law. So I think it's time we fight back. And then finally, what happened 13 months ago was a policy that came out from the church. It's horrific. It it says if you are a same-sex married couple, you are out of the church. If you have kids, your kids are out of the church until they're 18. Then they have to choose between their parents who raised them and their religion. If they choose their religion, they have to disavow their parents' sexual orientation. So believe it or not, that's led to a, a rash of teen suicides According to this Wendy Montgomery, who monitors this, who has a gay son, there have been 68 successful Mormon teenage suicides, people that have, have accomplished the suicide. Think of all those others who've contemplated it or tried, and it's, it's a tragic situation. So I'm fighting back on behalf of those kids out there who are suffering as a result of this church. I want to be their voice, and I want to get the church to pay attention to this effort, and I want them to welcome all LGBT Mormons into the Mormon church and their families. Do you think you have a good chance of doing this? Well, they would argue that it takes more than pressure from the federal government, from the IRS, from the Justice Department, that it's a revelation, meaning that 
God speaks to the prophet, which is this Thomas S. Monson, who's approaching 90 as this living prophet in the church. But when you look back to polygamy in the 18, late 1800s, or when you look back to the ban on African Americans in the Mormon church, which wasn't reversed until 1978 after the Justice Department and the IRS and their sports programs were all under boycott, suddenly they got this revelation and they righted their, their century and a half of wrong and they allowed African Americans into the church. So we might possibly be leaning on them, and we, because I, I think this is great work, but leaning on them so that they can get a revelation. <laughs> I mean, this it's would be presumptuous. Lovely. <laughs> I mean, but why would you want? To, why would why would you? Why would we want to join the church? Well, others. I mean, people don't want to join the church, and actually, I think they're at the tipping point now, where more people are resigning the church than are being born into the church. It might or be being in their converted. interest. So it's a financial thing for them, but but. What they've done to the LGBT community from Prop 8, just the publicity that they got around that, what that's done to the LGBT youth, homelessness is at an all-time record high. The suicide rate in Utah of teenagers is eight times the national average. So we're, we're talking, you know, that they, they are, are privy to this and they don't do anything about it. So I, who didn't grow up Mormon, have never been Mormon, in kind of a unique position to organize this effort. So I am curious about the illegality of what they're doing. I think churches are not just across the board banned from doing political work. It's it's there are very specific exceptions, and I know that their churches are not supposed to endorse particular candidates. But churches have, through history, supported certain social causes and things like that. How is this different? Well. According to a couple tax attorneys I've spoken to, including one former commissioner of the IRS, the head of the IRS, there are strict limits on politics, and, and he feels the Mormon church has crossed that line. There's a, a charity aspect of, of churches, too, and the Mormon church seems to just completely ignore that. And then the, the thing that I think is going to uh, really— uh, Back up for a second. Uh, charity, meaning they are not doing charitable work with those donations? Right. And they are required to they, by law? Yes, yeah. and it's their numbers like five percent. But the fact that churches have no transparency, unlike any five hundred one c three, they don't have to report anything. They don't have to fill out a nine ninety like any other organization does. So no one knows where their money comes from or where it goes. But I thought it was interesting in your HuffPo article that even though they have no transparency here, they do have to uh, open their tax files in other countries. Now, what what did you learn from that? I mean, how much can we surmise from what was it, England and Germany? England and Canada. Canada, Canada. And both uh, show that the U.S. has to really subsidize both of their churches, that their fundraising, you know, their tithing, I call it fundraising, but their tithing, which is a mandatory minimum 10% of your gross income to the church every year, um, is not quite keeping up with their expenses. And they have a very low overhead because they have lay ministers. For instance, Mitt Romney was a bishop twice, which is a seven to eight year commitment. So here's a very successful businessman. They don't have to pay like the Catholic Church has to pay and house priests and nuns. The Mormon Church has everybody working for free. And then Mitt Romney was also a state president for 14 years. So they get all this free labor. But in the U.S., they do make probably we're, we're told between 8 and $20 billion each and every year in tithing. Their overhead is very low. And what do they do with that money? Vested. They own 
life insurance companies. They're building a city in Orla near Orlando, Florida for 500,000 people. They own 2% of the raw land in Florida. They're building a big development in Arizona. They paid $2 billion in cash for a mall in Salt Lake City. So those are things we're looking into. We're putting a whole team of investigators and researchers together to go into all these uh, county assessor's office. Are they paying property tax or is a church-owned apartment building that's collecting at market uh, rents, are they exempt from any kind of tax? So if they are, that will all be part of our massive complaint to the IRS. Well, and what, what happens if this totally succeeds? I mean, what if one day the Mormon church has to pay taxes, then then what? what is, does it become a corporation as opposed to a church or... I'm not sure where this well, is leading because this is that not my argue. Yeah, I'm, I, this is a brand new project for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my arms around it because it's such a massive undertaking and tracking all their properties and investments all over the world. You know, they're a worldwide church. But I think that I mean, who knows what happens? We're going to submit. I'm hoping for 12 to 1500 page complaint to the IRS. We're going to have hundreds of boxes of evidence. I've got about 30 boxes of Prop 8 evidence alone, file boxes. And then we're going to turn it all into the IRS. Now, the IRS has to investigate, particularly something that's this substantial. But I'm calling it the biggest, loudest, and most comprehensive challenge to a religion's tax-exempt status in history. What I like is the loudest part, because as yeah. we find out information, like I found out what they were doing in all the same-sex marriage battles, I would then um, file complaints and uh, with ethics offices around the state. Well, if we find out they're violating the law in, in these um, other states or federal government, um, if somebody gives us information, we will publicize that. And hopefully enough pressure and enough loss of membership is going to happen as a result of all this news that comes out that they're going to do the right thing and open up the church to women, to LGBT Mormons and their families, and really crack down on this rampant sexual abuse that's I, a big problem there. I think that's very interesting, the idea being that it would be great to actually get the result, the legal result that you're looking for, but the process itself might really put a lot of pressure, not necessarily from you, but from within, because I mean, I'll say that I've known a number of Mormons in my life, and to a person, these are very lovely people. And people who believe in fairness and believe in justice. And so, you know, I could imagine this sort of speaking to them or creating those conversations at the very least around the dinner table. I mean, is that is that very much in the in the back of your mind as well? Completely. That's exactly our strategy because you know, they're they're in a unique situation. They are the second least popular religion in this country. They have a big image problem, which they're aware of. They're trying to get their members to do it. To, to change their ways, to reach out more to non-Mormons. But my beef is with the leadership because they can change this. As I said in another Huffington Post column, with 14 words, they could stop this rash of teen suicides, but they refuse to do it. So I'm hopeful that if all this bad news comes out, we just, somebody unconnected our effort and uh, uh, leaked 15 videos that, about two months ago, including one from Senator Gordon Smith, who had just lost, this was in 2009, who was a Mormon from Oregon. And he was presenting to the 12 apostles, the leadership bodies, kind of like a board of directors of the Mormon church. And he said, I didn't vote for the Iraqi Iraq war because I wanted us to go into war. I voted for the Iraq war because I wanted us to be able to ordain Mormons and ordain the Kurds in that part of the world. And his other 
big accomplishment was that he was able to secure 200 visas for these Mormon missionaries going to India from the ambassador, the Indian ambassador to the U.S., and he had their church lobbyist go over to the ambassador's residence to pick them up. Well, that's a violation of the uh, Foreign Corrupt Services Act and also of the Logan Act. So, you know, we're going to find out a lot more of this stuff that we're going to file charges against the church on, and then they're going to have to deal with all these fires along the way. Is there hope you might find the Mormon equivalent of Deep Throat? (laughs) Wow. Uh, <laughs> which which we should explain was a Watergate reference. Yeah. Right, I know. Because we were just in the yeah, early 70s. For, for you kids ways. in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I was given uh, these boxes full of documents eight years ago, which talked about all their involvement in these 26 states. And I always referred to this. We met at the bar at the Hotel Monaco on a cold February day in 2009. I always referred to him as Mr. X. Hmm. He, uh, he, uh, he would only give them to me if I promised I would not reveal my source, which I never have, in spite of two subpoenas from the Mormon Church on federal lawsuits they are involved with to get that information. So I'm confident we're going to get a lot. Coincidentally, a parallel effort began just last Monday. A, a young guy named Ryan McKnight out of Las Vegas, who left the church about three years ago, married, has three kids. But he was the recipient of some leaked materials. Actually, he's the one who published those 15 videos. So just last week, he took it up a notch, and he's calling it MormonWikileaks.com. And this is an available uh, website that people can go to, just like the big WikiLeaks, and give... In, and, and give all their information out. It's completely encrypted. It's completely safe. There is no way that it can ever be traced. So he's going to check out the legitimacy of all these documents that are coming forth and then publish them. And then we'll be able to use those in our complaint. So the church, which is the is famous for its record keeping, and we didn't know till two months ago, videotaping everything they do. That'll wow. bite you in the backside sometimes. And a lot as we've of seen. Uh, detractors that want to get back at yeah. the church. Um, when you say we, it's not just Fred Carger. It's who else? And who is we? <laughs> who is we? <laughs> um, I sound like a politician when I say we, but <laughs> no, I, it, it, I started this. Um, a lot of people think I'm crazy. I am, but uh, <laughs> I'm determined and I've done this. I've taken on some big forces before. I did four big boycotts during Prop 8 against billionaires and um, have successful in three of them. We, we are a team of people. I've got a guy in Utah who is on our team who's uh, part-time but doing a full-time work, who's grew up in the church, uh, left the church, so knows all the ins and outs. Uh, I've got two attorneys. I've got uh, an organization in Washington, D.C. called the, the Secular Coalition for America, which came out very early in support of this, Larry Decker and his team. They've got two full-time interns and staff devoted to this, and we're going to put together other like-minded organizations, and there are many out there that feel that it's unjust the churches. You know, can have we think up to a trillion dollars in business holdings and not pay a nickel's worth of taxes. And the organization's name is uh, Rights Equal Rights. Rights Equal Rights. That's our organization, okay. and we've set up something called MormonTips.com. Okay. It's on Facebook. Uh, we'll have our Twitter up soon. Uh, we have a website which is going to be rolled out um, new and improved in January. And then what we're really excited about is our first commercial. And we are going to the public in Utah. It's going to run in all the major cities in Utah. And it's going to be asking. And it's through a lot of young people's voices. We had a casting. We made the commercial asking for people to provide us information on the political abuse and on the financial abuse from their investments. Um, 
Before we let you go, I did want to ask you, because this leads right into the topic that's very much in everyone's minds right now. It's the election. And you are a Republican, and this Republican president-elect has really gotten a lot of traction on the religious freedom argument, and religious freedom is often a code for anti-LGBT. From your perspective, and doing this kind of work, how does... How do these things fit together? I mean, are you going against the party or do you feel like you're representing a sort of a, you know, a silent but large group in the Republican Party that thinks a different way? I mean, looking ahead, what do you see? Well, the Republican Party's changed so much. I mean, I'm 66 years old. When I started, it was much more moderate, kind of where I am, um, smaller government. Uh, and the people I worked for over the years uh, tend to reflect that. But I'm I'm hanging on by my fingernails right now. It's tough. Trump, of course, says he's going to be the best LGBT president in history, as he does on everything. Ellie Log, Log Cabins agree with you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. he's better than Ted Cruz. Yeah. I went to the I went to both conventions because I'm a junkie. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, not saying that you thought that. I was saying they, they agree with that position, but yeah. Well, you know, he's he didn't campaign, and actually, I started. I called it the St. Louis Resolution. Megan McCain and the head of Log Cabin, Gregory Tiangelo, and I sent out about two years ago before Trump even was mentioned, uh, a proclamation that we asked all the candidates to sign to be less aggressive against LGBT rights and the LGBT community. Um, Nothing to do with that resolution, but for some reason, and I think because Trump just dominated, there was far less of that in 2016 than when I ran in 2012 when you had Rick Santorum doing it on a regular basis. And even he ran this time and we saw very little. And Huckabee, too, um, who were very aggressive when he was very aggressive when he ran in 08. So, you know, I think the party is kind of getting away from that. Um, I'm very concerned about this bill by um, Mike Lee and Raul Labrador. That is Trump said he would sign. That does absolutely give permission to religions to discriminate. Coincidentally, it does protect their tax-exempt status, which uh, I think is, you know, fine in some instances when they are doing good. The Pope came out about a year ago. He's going to be featured on our website. He said that if religions become more of a business than a religion and they stop helping the poor, then they should be taxed like a business. I love the idea of a website and co-starring the Pope. Yes, we love him (laughs) on certain things. But it makes sense. And he was a little bitter because he had asked a lot of the diocese and Italy to take in refugees, and they didn't. And so he was uh, not too happy with that and said that a lot of these buildings they have, they're renting out as hotels. They should be paying taxes. Well, is there anything that we missed? Because you've, you've, you've done so much, we and there's so, so much, much to cover. We have so much more we could talk to you about. But is there anything we missed that you specifically want to get in during this last few seconds? Or a wish for the new year? Or a wish um, for the new I'm year? Just, you know, <laughs> I'm hoping the best for this country. I think Trump's heart is in the right place. He's crazy, but... Uh, <laughs> I think he has kids and grandkids he's going to want to have a strong country and world for and to be determined. I hope you're right. And Fred (laughs) Carger, please feel free to come back anytime and talk about any of these topics. And we'll be following what you're doing. And again, for folks that want to uh, follow this particular work about the Mormon Church, mormontips.com. Is that it? And uh, is that they should just go to Mormon Tips. And Facebook, Mormon Tips. A lot of people love to interact on Facebook. Well, good night to our favorite Republican. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, that is it for tonight. Our thanks to IMRU's coordinating producer and tonight's director, Steve Pride, board op Federico Garcia, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Jed Proctor and Brian Burns.
And you can find us online at IMRU Radio and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks to everyone who helped support our continuing existence during the KPFK Fund Drive, which I heard went rather well. Um, I would like to make a note, as this is our last show for 2016. First of all, I think we all hope that 2017 was feeling just is feeling a little bit more hopeful. Um, Michelangelo Signorelli was on the show a few weeks back, and he made a comment in the aftermath of the election. And he was saying that looking at the history of the civil rights movements in this country, keeping your eye on the prize never meant that we would reach some end goal where suddenly we have to stop and there's no more work to be done. We have to keep going. So losing hope because we aren't done I don't think is an option for 2017. For the next year, let's simply keep going. Let's always find a reason for hope and joy. Let us commit to lifting one another up, especially in times like this when it's hard, because this is when it really counts. And those are my blessings to you for 2017. You're so much more noble than I am. My only wish is leave me alone. (laughs) And leave Wenzel alone. (laughs) And on a very sad note, as many of you know, we said earlier that George Michael passed away yesterday at the age of 53. He helped define pop music in the 80s. Oh, I danced to his music. And (laughs) once he came out in 1998, he was open, outspoken, and unapologetic about his sexuality. He was an icon, a brilliant musician. He was kind of a looker, this lesbian thing. He was. A humanitarian, and he will be so very missed. Well, he had Diana's hair before she did, practically. This has been a very rough year. So would somebody please put Elton John, Aretha Franklin, Dolly Parton, and Liza in a safe house until 2016 is over. (laughs) We'll close with a song from George Michael that will forever be tied to the timing of his death last Christmas. Good night. Good night. Christmas.